0: Hello, and welcome back to the Sidekick Critic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and I'm delighted that you are here with me for another episode of this film and entertainment industry podcast. Well, folks, we have finally arrived at the biggest movie weekend of 2023, arguably the biggest movie weekend since COVID, since the last decade. I It's hard to keep track of. It is Barbenheimer Weekend, the... Dual release of Barbie and Oppenheimer in the same weekend. The last month, all of my social media feed has been Barbenheimer content. Everyone is looking forward to this. It is a true movie event. I don't know if I've ever really seen a movie event like this. It was incredible to watch it unfold. In the weeks and really the past month leading up to it, the amount of memes as the more general populace realized, Barbenheimer is happening. Barbie and Oppenheimer, two polar opposite movies being released the same weekend. One starring megastars, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling from director Greta Gerwig. Another, more megastars, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr., Killian Murphy from the acclaimed director Christopher Nolan. Same weekend. It's been a blast to watch it unfold. I was lucky enough that I was able to get tickets for a Friday night opening night showing of Barbie. Wow, what a time that was. Probably 90% of the sold out auditorium in the Dolby Theater was dressed in pink. Probably 90% of the people I saw in the theater lobby were dressed in pink. It was clear that a majority of the people were there for Barbie, that was the bigger movie. Everything leading up to it reflected that and everything since the release has reflected that you could really feel the energy and excitement in the lobby and it was fantastic to be a part of. There were people lined up to take pictures in the Barbie box they had on display there. Everyone was having a good time. It was an energy I'm not used to in the theaters and it was really fun for me to see because I'm constantly this excited about movies. Every new release I'm so excited if I get to be there opening weekend and get to get a quick review out, get to get my thoughts together before I hear what everyone else is telling me about a movie. So it was a blast to see. And like I mentioned, this is the biggest movie event in a while. I can only think of two similar times. One was Spider-Man No Way Home, and the other was Avengers Endgame. I don't think No Way Home really holds up to this. That was more a after the movie, everyone was so hyped about it, and people were going to see it again, at least in my circles. Avengers Endgame was really the last big movie event where everyone in the theater was massively excited for the same movie. People are dressed up and were just, it was a pop culture moment. And it was great to see this transpire for Barbie specifically because I'm a mid 20s male. All these comic book movies, these superhero movies, these big action movies that are typically the movie event types, I'm their target demographic for those. They're looking for me as their audience to get me there, to get me in the theater. It was great for something like Barbie that has a different target audience. I'm not the target audience for this movie and that's great. I think it's fantastic that there's a movie that is more so intended for women and a lot of people are complaining about that. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, Barbie was a girl's toy when I was growing up. I think anyone could play with Barbies if they want. Anyone can like Barbies. This movie is for everyone, but it's clear the pink everything, women are always going to be more interested and it was great to see... A different crowd at a movie event. I would hazard to guess that 75% of the audience was women in this theater, which I've never seen that before. It was a blast. Friday was so much fun. Throughout the weekend, I kept track. I was looking at the different show times at my local theaters just because I was curious. And even for a 9 a.m. Saturday showing of Barbie, everything but a few seats in the front row were already reserved. I've never seen anything like that. The other half of the showings were completely sold out if it wasn't just the front row available. Oppenheimer, all of the IMAX showings were fully sold out. If you wanted to see these movies, you had to get in. You had to get tickets weeks ago when they announced tickets because they started selling that quickly. One of our friends decided, I think it was Wednesday afternoon, that, oh, he actually did want to go to Barbie. He couldn't get a ticket because we had to book weeks in advance. There's just nothing you could do. I Like I said, I haven't seen any a movie event like that in such a long time. On Sunday afternoon, I went to go see Oppenheimer. I saw it in IMAX. And still, people showing up in outfits. People. It was a different theater. It had a lesser quality Barbie display, but there's still people taking pictures in it. People dressed up in pink. In our Oppenheimer showing, there was a few people dressed in pink who had clearly just come from Barbie, so the double showtime, the memes of people going to see Oppenheimer, going out, getting drinks after that movie to get ready and excited for Barbie, I cannot stress enough how much true joy it gives me to see a movie event like that, to see that many people in theaters. I think this weekend really showcased the best of what movies have to offer incredible acting performances, incredible writing, incredible scripts, music, across the board, everything about these two movies was fantastic. They're two of my favorite movies so far this year. And the movies created this mutually beneficial relationship for each other that was astounding to watch it unfold. It was a marketing strategy. I don't know if it was intended or if memes took it and ran with it, but... You were starting to see Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig holding up their tickets for an Oppenheimer showing. You had Tom Cruise, whose Mission Impossible came out a week before, with tickets for both movies as he was going to go see both in theaters. And it was interesting how the target audience, so to say, for Oppenheimer and Barbie are very different. Um, But those Christopher Nolan fans who are always going to see his newest release and were excited for months, like myself, for Oppenheimer... Then we're deciding, oh, this is a whole weekend event. I'm going to go see Barbie too. And vice versa, people who would never see Oppenheimer or a movie like that, once they're going to see Barbie, they're like, I have to be a part of this pop culture event. I have to see Oppenheimer too. I have to do the double feature or I have to see both of them this weekend. And it was so exciting. I think Oppenheimer probably benefited from this mutual marketing strategy a little bit more. Because how often are people really rushing to theaters to see a three-hour biopic about a physicist? I know I would. I love biopics. I will rush to a theater to see it opening weekend every single time. But my fiance Abigail, for example, she probably wouldn't want to see it opening weekend if it weren't the big movie event it was. that may be me not giving her enough credit because though she used to be not a big movie fan, she's constantly at movies with me all the time now. I think both of us have seen over 30 new releases this year. So shout out Abby on your very impressive movie watching habits that have been built over the past year. Um, But yeah, so Oppenheimer I think benefited a little bit more. As I mentioned, this was so exciting for me this weekend to see so many people at the theaters excited to watch movies, to talk about them. I, uh, I I had a blast, and outside of the pop culture event of it, the box office is reflecting the massive success, especially with Barbie. Um, together, this whole weekend is the fourth biggest domestic box office weekend of all time at three hundred eleven million. To do that post COVID is insane. It's impressive, and it's could be a turning point for theaters as people realize these. As these original stories come out, we can have fun with them. You can dress up in whatever the movie theme is or as a character. Abby and I are already talking about, for Halloween, possibly doing Barbie and Oppenheimer. So it's it's going to be something that's remembered as a pop culture moment. When people do their video recaps on the year, Barbenheimer is going to have a massive stamp on it. And the money really reflects it. Uh, Barbie... Its opening weekend did $162 million domestically. That puts it in the number one spot for domestic openings this year. Once again, domestic is just, I believe it's United States and Canada. That $162 million opening weekend already put it at seventh in domestic gross for its entire run. Of all movies that come out this year, their entire domestic run, Barbie is already in seventh from one weekend from Today is Tuesday, so we're still under a week. The movie has already hit $381 million worldwide gross. That puts it in the top 15 for the year, and it's already passed massive movies like Mission Impossible, Elemental, The Flash, Dungeons & Dragons, and many more. It's, I mean, top 15 is incredible. This movie, I think it's easily going to break a billion. The word of mouth on it is incredible. Everyone that's coming out of it is loving it. Some people are trying to drum up controversy saying it's uh, what's the word not misogynistic but misogynistic towards men those people are so wrong in my opinion the movie pokes fun at men but there's nothing wrong with that and then oppenheimer is also having a great weekend 82.4 million dollars in his domestic opening that's the third highest for nolan the only two above it are the two dark knight movies so i don't know if those really count in terms of original or adapted stories that's not a previous IP. Oppenheimer is his top movie and it's done $180 million worldwide so far. For a three-hour biopic, that's incredible. I think this movie will not have as strong legs as Barbie, but I could still see it hitting 350, million, $500 million across worldwide, which is going to be incredible. It's Christopher Nolan really put in the work on this movie, but that's kind of my recap of the Barbenheimer weekend. I mean, it was such a fun weekend. I had a blast. I've been looking forward to this four months since I first realized that the two movies were coming out the same weekend and neither of them were going to change their release date. So Barbenheimer weekend doesn't get much better than that. Let's talk about the movies now. We're going to start with talking about Barbie. I'm not doing one minute reviews on the pod today as both of those... For Barbie and Oppenheimer are on my Instagram and TikTok so head to my socials follow me and check out the one minute reviews if you want a quick recap absolutely no chance of spoilers in them to see if this movie is for you but Barbie is the most fun movie of the year maybe the most fun movie of the last 10 years I can't remember a time I had this much fun in a movie It was hilarious, it was heartfelt, and it was a strong story and theme and visuals and everything about it. I mentioned some people trying to drum up controversy about the movie, and I think it's absurd. It pokes fun at men, but it's all in good humor. There's one joke about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Right before the movie, I was talking to my friend Anastasia about Zack Snyder's Justice League because she's a big superhero movie fan, and... I, the two of us busted out laughing because that poked fun directly at me. And then there's a joke about The Godfather and men's, man's, men's opinions on The Godfather. And then I looked at Abby and I was like, I recently watched The Godfather and I told you, you have to watch this movie. It's, yeah, it pokes fun at us, but that's part of the fun. That's the enjoyment of it. I, I love it. I love when movies are able to poke fun at its audience like that. I think it adds so much to the movie. And I think anyone that gets their feelings hurt over that has to chill out because it's not that big of a deal. They're jokes and it's a blast. But let's forget about that so-called controversy Controversy people are trying to drum up because it's absurd in my opinion. Back to the actual movie, uh, the acting performances. We're going to talk about this for a little bit because they are truly impressive. Can't talk about Barbie without talking about Barbie, Margot Robbie. A perfect performance, in my opinion. Almost at no point in the movie did I see her as Margot Robbie, the movie star. I recently watched Babylon. Last year I saw Amsterdam. And during both those movies, there were moments where you're like, oh yeah, it's Margot Robbie. You kind of lose sight of her character. But she just embodied the Barbie role perfectly and really brought a toy to life with Joy, but so much depth and emotion. It's This is her best performance. In my mind, hands down, she was perfect for the Barbie role. I think this is the pinnacle of her career so far. I think the last two movies I mentioned, Amsterdam and Babylon, did not do well financially. I think this movie being such a massive success is great for her career. And I I can't say enough good things about her performance in this movie. She... Literally is Barbie. But Ryan Gosling as Ken almost stole the show in the movie for me. Not quite. I still think Margot Robbie's the highlight, highlight. But Gosling is amazing as Ken. He's the funniest character in the movie, hands down. There is no question Ken elicited the most laughs out of the entire audience. And for being this almost dumb blonde male... He also was able to bring so much depth to this role. And then, of course, you can't talk about it without the humor. And there's a musical sequence in the third act of this movie that is truly one of the funniest scenes I've ever watched in a theater. Uh, The entire audience was cracking up and enjoying it so much. This is another pinnacle performance for Ryan Gosling. And what's a comedy movie, he is outstanding. And then the supporting cast. I, I can't say enough good things about the whole cast for this movie. Will Ferrell as the Mattel CEO. It's the perfect casting for a older white man CEO that's weird, quirky, corporate executive. Can't go wrong casting Will Ferrell in that role. Simu Liu is another Ken doll in the movie. And Simu's got amazing comedic timing. I hope to see him in more comedy movies he played fantastically with Ryan Gosling as a almost a sidekick, Ken. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and then finally, America Ferrara. She has a monologue in this movie that is one of the best movie monologues I have ever seen. Um, I think anyone, if you're if you watching this movie, is worth it for the monologue alone. I'm excited to go see it again. I will be seeing Barbie again without a doubt because that monologue is the emotional stamp on the movie. It really is what sets this movie a level above because you get all these laughs and this good humor and having fun. And then she hits you with this monologue and you're like, okay, I I see the theme Greta Gerwig was trying to get across. And speaking of Greta Gerwig, the level direction this movie must have taken is incredible. Um, From the sets, All the Pink, I heard a rumor a couple months ago that there was a, world shortage on pink paint because of how much the sets needed for this movie to the musical numbers, to Barbie land, to all these different Barbies and Kens and getting them to each be individualistic, but they're all Barbies and they're all Kens. So they're all kind of the same in the same sense. It's, this is Greta Gerwig's best movie so far of I, that I've seen. Lady Bird was a fantastic movie. I recently watched that. I plan on watching little woman soon, but it's, Greta Gerwig is going to get tons of awards for this movie, I think, uh, whether from adapted screenplay or from best director, but it's she will get all the recognition for this movie as she rightfully deserves. Speaking of awards, I wanted, I'm only going to focus on the Academy Awards, the Oscars, but I want to give my predictions for nominations on these two movies because you're going to be seeing their name a lot come award season, so... As I mentioned, I think Greta Gerwig is a shoe-in to be nominated for Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. I hope to see Margot Robbie get nominated for Best Actress because, I mean, she's the lead actress in the biggest movie of the year. And she plays a role perfectly. I don't think there's anything wrong with her acting performance in this movie. I think it's only good things. So she should absolutely be recognized for what she did. I think Ryan Gosling has a very strong chance to take home the best supporting actor. Uh, it's he's I didn't mention it because I forgot he is Ken. He is not Ryan Gosling this movie. It's a such a strong character that he portrays that I think he'll absolutely be nominated for best supporting actor. I think the movie has a strong chance to get a best original song nomination. Best production design almost seems like a shoe-in for this movie when you look at the sets and what they built. Best costume design has an outside chance. And best makeup and hairstyling as they're Barbies. Of course, you have to have good costume, makeup, hairstyling, and this movie hit all of those notes. As I said in my one-minute review, Barbie got a 9.8 out of 10 for me. That is my highest-rated movie of the year I don't think anything can beat it, and I think it's fitting that this is gonna be my number one movie of the year because this was the most fun movie I have maybe ever watched. It's almost perfect. It is almost perfect. I don't know if I can find a flaw, but giving a perfect 10.0 is very hard for me to do because I feel like every movie has a flaw somewhere, but I cannot stress enough how much of a great time Barbie is and how worth it is seeing in theaters. No matter what else you hear about the movie, Block it all out. Go watch it in theaters. It is so, so worth it. Barbie, 9.8 out of 10. Okay, that's the Barbie aspect. As you can tell, I was really excited about it because it was just such a joy to watch. Let's move on to Oppenheimer, a polar opposite movie. This movie is not fun, but it is a masterpiece of filmmaking without a doubt. Having recently watched The Fablemans and as my movie watching grows and grows and I learn more about the industry, I've grown to appreciate the actual filmmaking aspect, the sound, the cinematography, the score, the camera work, the little things, the screenplays, the dialogues, the small character interactions, all of that I've come to appreciate a lot more. And it's all those little boxes that most people don't think about that this movie excels at. It's Christopher Nolan brought all of these aspects together in such a beautiful way most notably for me in this movie the cinematography, the score and the sound um, the sound editing that is are at a quality you that's so good you often don't realize that other movies can only hope to hit this Hoyt Van Hoytema did the cinematography for this movie Ludwig Gorenson had the score and Richard King was the sound designer hats off to the three of them Their work is exceptional. I don't want to spoil something, but there's one specific moment, maybe a couple months from now I'll look back and mention it, that really just kills it with the sound of this movie and is what sets it apart and is the best aspect of the film. But you can't talk about all those things without talking about the director, Christopher Nolan. The way he brought all that together, his vision, how he executed it, And the fact that he wrote the adapted screenplay for this movie. It's based on the book American Prometheus about J. Robert Oppenheimer. It's what a job. I think this will go down as Christopher Nolan's best work. He has some fantastic movies. Some older movies, Memento. And there's one that is blanking my mind. If I remember it, I'll come back to it. But then... He's got those big IP movies in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. He has spectacle movies in Inception and Interstellar. But I think Oppenheimer will be his peak because everything just comes together so perfect. The movie is three hours long. It's what people are calling a talkie because they're talking for two and a half hours out of three hours nonstop. It's an epic. It's a drama piece about the rise and fall of an iconic American figure, J. Robert Oppenheimer. And it's incredible. For a movie like this to be that incredible really says a lot about what Christopher Nolan himself did as the director. As I mentioned, it's a talkie. It's three hours. With a movie like that, you have to acknowledge the cast. And I'm going to spend some time on the cast here because, wow, this is a stacked cast, a great ensemble. I think if the SAG Awards happen this year, there's a good chance Oppenheimer wins for Best Ensemble. But I think Mario also has a, not Mario, uh, I think Barbie also has a shot at it, but I think Oppenheimer's in the lead. First up, the star of the movie, Colleen Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer he brought this character to life you are inside his mind you are feeling his anxieties and his worries as he goes through the stress of the los alamos project and his and the subsequent almost fall afterwards and his facial acting his the way he delivers these lines the switch between black and white and color and how he acts differently in those two different styles Killian Murphy, outstanding. This is also his best performance. I think this movie is a lot of bests for a lot of people. And despite it not being fun, so to say, like Barbie is, it is a masterpiece. Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer, also incredible. She gets a great moment to shine in the third act of this movie that really cements her role in it and what she brought to the table. Robert Downey Jr. as Louis Strauss incredible, so good in the role, in fact, that my fiance Abby did not realize it was Robert Downey Jr. until I showed her pictures of him after the movie. That's how much he embodied his, his character and how well he played that role. You had Matt Damon as Leslie Grove, Leslie Groves, Tim Conti as Albert Einstein, Florence Pugh as Gene Tatlock, Jason Clark as Roger Robb, Casey Affleck as Boris Pash. And even Gary Oldman making a cameo as Harry Truman. I didn't realize it was him until after the fact. Just so many outstanding performances. So many more I didn't mention. David Krumholtz, Benny Safdie. There's another specific actor I cannot remember right now. My mind is blanking a lot tonight because I'm just so excited about these movies and talking about them. But there's a couple things I want to address in the movies. Some questions my friend Anastasia had that I feel obligated to address. So I'm going to spend five minutes talking about this and we'll get into spoilers. If you haven't seen it, fast forward five minutes to the 30 minute mark. Here we go. Last spoiler warning. So one of the questions she asked uh, was in regard to Florence Pugh's character, Jean Tetlock. And she said, roughly quoting, it felt like it was just them, her and Oppenheimer fucking. And I didn't understand why she meant so much to him. And they said they wanted more from the character. Either 15 to 30 minutes more or cut her out of the movie completely. Abby agreed with her in that sentiment. And my thought on that matter is it would be disingenuous to the story to do more. Both Oppenheimer and Tatlock, Florence Pugh, were supporters of the Communist Party. They had like morals and beliefs. They challenged each other. There's that scene where... She makes him read scripture and he reads the line, and I am become death destroyer of worlds. It's their kindred spirits. And because of that, their attraction is physical. And it's a very human thing, I think, for Oppenheimer that he says, I'll always pick up the phone because he can never let that go everyone, it's almost an addiction and everyone can relate to that in some aspect where there's something that no matter what it means, no matter how bad you have to let it go, you can't. And like I said, you can't give her a bigger role because in the grand scheme of things, she wasn't that massive part of his life. She was there for a short time, but in that short time, he couldn't get past her. So I I think her character was underserved in the sense of she wasn't in it for a lot and a majority of their scenes are just them having sex but I think it's very accurate to the actual relationship Oppenheimer had with Gene Tatlock and I think that's what Nolan was trying to get across that it wasn't a relationship like Robert and Kitty, his wife, where they stood by each other through thick and thin. This was a carnal attraction. The other character they were curious about and in context was Casey Affleck's Boris General Boris Pash saying they wanted less context context for him. They still didn't understand who that guy was, and they would have preferred Florence Pugh. Casey Affleck is a, and his character Boris Pash is essentially a stand-in for Oppenheimer's arrogance. That's kind of the point of him. You're not meant to really know who he is. He's meant to be a mystery guy that protects the military from espionage in a time. World War II, a lot of military espionage, the rise of communism in the Soviet Union and being not having strong faith in them as an ally, he's meant to be a little mysterious, and that's really conveyed as Oppenheimer is talking to Pash. It's also being cut while he's talking to General Groves. And Groves is clearly skeptical and wary of who Pash is and what he can do, and saying Oppenheimer should not have talked to him. And in that moment Oppenheimer is not aware he's being surveilled in this conversation but he's trying to pin possible communist activity on a character I cannot remember to avoid it being pinned on his friend uh, Chevalier. And the thing is Pasch already knows this. He knows Oppenheimer going to lie to him. He knows he's not telling the truth so he has the conversation surveilled. And that's showing Oppenheimer's arrogance. It's the peak of his life. He's the head of the Los Alamos project and he thinks he can lie to a military general that is incredibly skilled in espionage to help his friend and further himself when in reality, Pash is multiple steps ahead of him there. And his arrogance is failing him in this moment. And then it fails him again later when he's at his hearing for security clearance And he's asked about that conversation. He lies about it again. Just to later have it be revealed that he was being surveilled. Unbeknownst to him. And that that caught him in a double lie there. It's. Even as this man was facing his downfall. And arguably one of his lowest points. He lied again because his arrogance wouldn't allow him to do anything else. So. That's the end of the spoiler section there. I, I think. If you've watched those these movies, I think that gives a lot of context on those two characters and my interpretation of them. Once again, I this movie is a piece of art to me more than it's an enjoyable movie. I'll watch it again at some point at home probably with subtitles because it's so dialogue heavy so that it's easier to follow along. But I still think for the moments of amazing visual effects, practical visual effects and... For the moments of the amazing sound, I think it is worth watching this movie in theaters. Ideally in IMAX or Dolby because you want that larger screen and really to me you need the better sound system. Oppenheimer is getting a 9.3 out of 10, also one of my top movies of the year. I'm not surprised at all that Barbenheimer is two of my top movies of the year and it'll stay that way for very different reasons. As I talked about, I wanted to talk about the award aspect of these movies a little bit. So, Oppenheimer is going to be stellar on the award circuit. I cannot stress that enough. There's a few that I think are absolute shoe ins, above the line, which is the more popular awards. Best director for Christopher Nolan, without a doubt. Best picture, without a doubt. Killian Murphy is arguably in the lead for best actor. Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in a tough battle for best supporting actor. A lot of Oppenheimer's nominations are going to go toe to toe with Martin Scorsese's new film, Killers of the Flower Moon, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. But best director, best supporting actor, best picture, best actor, best cinematography for Hoytman Hoytma because it's the whole. A lot of the marketing for this film was it's a cinematic masterpiece. You have to see it in IMAX. He's going to get nominated there. He'll likely win. Best adapted Screenplay, I think, for Oppenheimer because the Oscars love a talkie. They love a drama. Best Sound for Richard King. Best Original Score for Ludwig Gorenson. Best Film Editing, I think. This is a dark horse to win because of the way the story is told and how it's edited. And then Best Visual Effects as the... Trinity test for the first nuclear device at Los Alamos is stunning. It it really is a gorgeous scene, and that's. I think this movie is gonna do very well at the Academy Awards and on the award circuit as a whole. I think it has a chance to do what Everything Everywhere All at Once did last year and win. What was it? Seven Academy Awards. Couple acting, best directing, screenplay. All of the big awards and then a few technical awards. And like I said, 9.3 out of 10 for Oppenheimer. What a fun weekend this was. It's I will definitely be seeing Barbie again. I may actually go see Oppenheimer again if I have the reservations. I'm actually running out of reservations this week. I was going to go see a movie on Wednesday and Thursday. Might not be able to do both just as there's too many movies. But... This has been a dream for me, this Barbenheimer Weekend, two master releases that everyone in all of pop pop culture is really in on. And I'm so happy I got to talk about this with you quickly and that I got to post one-minute reels and I got to dress up. I wore pink for Barbie. This is what movies are about for me. This is what I love. I love talking about them. I love seeing other people talking about them and hearing their opinions. And Barbenheimer Weekend was My world on the grand scale. So I'm so happy. I I keep saying it, but it was just a blast for me. And that's all I really have to say on Barbie and Oppenheimer. Of course, SAG-AFTRA strike is still going on, as is the Writers Guild of America strike. Full support to the actors and writers that are walking the picket lines. Uh, I saw Dwayne The Rock Johnson just made a seven-figure donation to a SAG-AFTRA strike relief fund. Even if some A-list actors, if you're not seeing them on the picket line, don't believe they're not supporting it behind the scenes. Even though these labor union deals don't affect them as much as it does the background actors, they're all in this together. A lot of them were background actors at some point or no background actors or are friends with them. And this deal is for everyone. It's not just for the millionaires. So support the union, support SAG-AFTRA, support WGA. And that's about it for today's episode. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Crosby, and thank you for joining me for this episode of the Sidekick Critic Podcast. See you next time.